Coming to you live from a barbecue shack near you, it's the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. We've got the sweet tea, the white bread, and a whole lot of slow smoke takes lined up. So put down your turkey burger, turn up the volume, and grab your hog, because it's about to be on. Oh, yeah. Now, say hello to your self-proclaimed food and sports experts, the utterly enthusiastic Holt Smash, and the one and only Tinder King of Memphis, Mr. JB the underscore Brooks. And now, here's your host, always full of ship, Alex Bullship One. Welcome back to the official SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. I'm not Alex, I'm Holt. Alex couldn't be here tonight. He's working on a PowerPoint right now for some reason. I'm not really sure what for. Um, maybe for work, maybe for pleasure. I don't know. What do you think, JB? I just think that uh, he's showing a lack of commitment. Uh, we're, you know, we're big college football fans, and if you're not going to you know, want to talk about these games, then uh, you know, we got to do something about this, Holt. That's right. He seems like kind of like a, uh, like a group of six fan. Like right now, you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's only there for like the good times, you know, like the hard times and, you know, he's just nowhere to be found. It's only when things are going good when you see him. Yeah, I mean, he is a, uh, you know, group of six guy. I would definitely uh, agree with you on that. But, you know, I, I, actually, yeah. you know, I don't even really care to expound that much anymore on that. Yeah, well, we're, we're SEC guys. We're going to be here through thick and thin. We're true fans. We love college football. And uh, that was a great game on Saturday. Um that happened in Lexington, Kentucky. Probably not um, the way most people probably wanted it to go. I feel like most people watching that game were for Kentucky. Kentucky got out to a big lead. Um, looked to be really in control going into the fourth quarter. And uh, then Florida actually outscores Kentucky 19 to nothing in the second in the fourth quarter with a backup quarterback. Uh, what an exciting game and uh, what a tough loss for Kentucky. Yeah, that was a absolute heartbreaker at Kroger Field. Uh, for once, a uh, team goes in a Kroger Field and uh, came away with a victory. So that was that was good for Florida, but man, that that on the flip side, just man, what a heartbreaker for Kentucky. I mean, it's just and plus, uh, you know, with Frank's going down for Florida and then Trask coming in and leading the Gators to a uh, come from behind victory. I mean, it was definitely a uh, big time victory for Mullen, and I don't even want to call this a setback for Kentucky. I mean, Florida was the fa- favorite team to win, but definitely let one slip away. Yeah, definitely. It really seemed like they controlled the entire game. Um, you know, Sawyer Smith came out, had a really good first half, was throwing the ball over the place. They were running the ball pretty well. Um, I don't know. It's just something about, like, uh, Felipe getting hurt. You know, he got hurt on a fourth down. It looked like the game was over at that point. And uh, Tras comes in and is able to lead him back. Um, are you on the <clears throat> Trask for Heisman bandwagon yet? Um, give me uh wait. Let me wait until you know after next week's game when they uh play Tennessee and probably throw for three hundred yards and run for a hundred. So after that, I'll probably be on the trash for Heisman train. So when I was watching this game, one thing that really stood out to me, I don't know if you noticed this as well, but it really seemed like when Trask came in, like the whole offense like set their game up. It wasn't just like Trask coming in. It was like all those receivers <laughs> were making plays. Um, you know, Jefferson, Swain, Pitts, all those guys seemed like they were all making plays for him. It just it really just seemed like the whole offense like stepped their game up when Felipe got hurt. 
Yeah, and that's that's definitely you know great to have teammates like that. That you know they that they know that they have to set their game up you know in big time situations, and the whole offense, like you said, they did set their game up when Franks I went down with that devastating injury and and a lot of I mean, you can talk to some Florida fans. They all thought that uh, Trask didn't really get a fair shot last year in training camp after he got hurt. I think before training camp and Franks is pretty much just given the job, but a lot of Florida fans thought that. Trask was actually better than Frank, so uh, you know maybe uh, maybe it might be a blessing in disguise. You know that Trask, you know, stood, you know, stayed and played it out, and now is the uh, pretty much starting quarterback for the rest of the year. Yeah, definitely, and uh, you know, obviously, really tough missed field goal by the <laughs> Kentucky kicker. I mean, I feel like we all kind of knew who's going to miss that field goal once he came out and they showed his name at the bottom of the screen. Chance poor. Um, <laughs> Definitely a uh, definitely a fitting name for him. Um, misses that field goal with uh, 57 seconds left that would have put Kentucky up. Um, really, uh, really heartbreaking. You feel for the Florida fans or the you feel for the Kentucky fans, I should say, um, with uh, getting a tough loss to Florida. Um, a game that, I mean, honestly, like as I was saying earlier, Kentucky really controlled for most of this game, and it really looked like they were going to run away with it. Uh, but Florida's able to come back and get the win. And, um, you know, Florida's ranked as a top-10 team. I'm not sure that they are really as good as a top-10 team. I mean, do you consider Florida, like, do, like when you watch them play, do you think, like, wow, it's a top-10 team? Absolutely not. I mean, and that's not any, like, hating or disrespect towards Florida. I mean, just right now, they don't look like a top-10 team. Are they capable of being a top-10 team? Absolutely. I mean, they're they're talented on both sides of the ball, but they really haven't put it together in a complete game yet. Although, I mean, they did make the plays when they needed to against Kentucky and against Miami. But I want to see them uh, improve, especially on offense, get a little more consistency there, and on defense not allowing uh, some big plays. And if they do that, I mean, yeah, I think they are a top-10 team. But right now I'd probably put them as a uh, top-20 team. Yeah, well, you know who definitely is a top-10 team? That would be Alabama, more like a top-2 or 3 team, maybe in a top-1 team. Um, they come out, go to South Carolina. You know, South Carolina came out, played pretty well in the first quarter, um, was able to kind of stay in the game, get a, got a touchdown and a field goal early. At the end of the first quarter, it was a four-point game uh, in Alabama's favor. Um, you know, but Alabama was able to do what they do and kind of lean on uh, South Carolina and pull away in the second half. Um, what kind of stood out to you from this game with uh, Alabama and South Carolina? Uh, really the play of uh, Ryan Helensky. I mean, he had a really solid game, and uh, you know, not, not just Ryan Polinski. I mean, I'll elaborate a little bit more on him, but also just the effort that South Carolina put into the game. Like, they did not quit at all. They played four quarters all the way through and through, even though Alabama was clearly the better team on the field. And, and Muschamp did take a, a few chances in that game, especially with the uh, the fake punt that I got called back from a holding penalty, and then the fake field goal in which it looked like one of those plays in NCAA football where the holder – holds it and then tries to run and gets smashed immediately. But you can, Must Jam definitely played, coached a game plan and trying to win the game and not trying to keep it close. And it wasn't close, but South Carolina definitely showed me that they are competitors and they're going to play close with some of these other teams because Bamba is just one of those teams that's going to blow out everybody in the SEC this year, except maybe for LSU on their schedule, which I'm surprising to say now. But I really think the South Carolina team showed me something, especially with the play of Felinski and I think he's probably going to be – actually, I don't have to say probably. I think he is better than uh, Jake Bentley. Because I don't know if Bentley is going to put up these kind of numbers against Bama because 
Polinski threw for 324 yards and two touchdowns. I don't know if Bentley would have been able to do that. Yeah, and Alinsky definitely played well. He did throw the ball 57 times in this game, so they definitely were turning it loose. You heard uh, throughout the broadcast, Danielson mentioned that uh, Muschamp had told him that they they needed to score points in this game if they're going to win. They weren't going to be able to just have like a defensive struggle and uh, grind it out. They knew that Tua was going to be able to put up some points um, with all those great receivers that Alabama has. And South Carolina was really aggressive, as you said. They had a fake punt, a fake field goal, an onside kick. I mean, they really pulled out all the tricks in this game. And, you know, um, you know, they even went for it on a fourth down right before halftime where they probably, you know, could have set it for a field goal. Uh, so they played really aggressive. They let it all out there. Rico Daddle had over 100 yards rushing as well. So, um, you know, you have to give South Carolina credit. They obviously were not the better team in this game. But, you know, it was a great atmosphere and a great crowd. And they came out and, you know, played as about as well as you could have expected um you know it sucks that even on a good day you're still going to lose to Alabama by 24 points but that's just kind of where we are in college football right now yeah and then on the flip side for Alabama I mean they just look like that the typical Alabama team that you expected I mean they absolutely dominated especially on offense uh Tua had put up his numbers as usual put up the most touchdowns in the game I think that any quarterback has had at Alabama if I'm not mistaken is that correct in a single game with five touchdowns or he may have tied for the most touchdowns. I'm trying to think what record was. It was something that was compared to A.J. McCarron. Some Bama fans can uh, tweet at us and let us know exactly what that record is. But uh, just Alabama looked definitely looked the part of the uh, number two team in the country. I still think they're the best team in the country right now. I think they're better than Clemson. And uh, Bama is just on fire right now. I mean, they're going to run through the schedule, like I said, in the preseason. And Saturday they did that against South Carolina. Yep, and uh, 25 carries for 76 yards is a team for Alabama. Does that concern you at all? Um, I mean, maybe a little bit because they only average, what, maybe about seven yards per carry. That almost seems like below average for Alabama, which has been, you know, absolutely pounding the rock for the last decade under Saban. But it's also just the offense they have now. I mean, they're running a lot very similar like a spread offense now with uh, relying on the passing game to try to open up the running game which is complete opposite of what they've been doing for the last decade. But I'm not going to let, let it concern me now. I think there's definitely room for improvement. They always they have a lot of you know solid talent on the offensive line, a lot of strength. And saving teams get better as the season progresses. So let's just wait and see. Yeah, that would be a little over three yards of carry for the team um, rushing the ball. So oh. definitely not. You said 25 rushes for 176. No. 76. Oh, 25 rushes for 76 yards. Okay, for 76. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't know why I didn't catch that. But, yes, that's actually a little concerning. <laughs> now, now, now yeah. that I think of it. Najee Harris did have a big run, but it was after, it was on a catch, actually. He caught the ball in the backfield and had a huge run where he broke, like, three tackles and yeah. hurdled somebody. Absolutely crazy run. But he only had seven carries for 36 yards. Robinson had eight carries for 33. So, um, definitely not – dominating the ground game like uh like we were kind of hoping going into that game but it didn't really matter because Tua just does what Tua does yeah. and they got the incredible group of receivers well now let's, let's go ahead and just just completely disregard the analysis I made on Alabama two minutes ago and we'll just uh, move on from there and I'll just uh take the L <laughs> well something that I'm definitely not too excited to talk about but we got to get it out of the way uh Mississippi State loses at home to Kansas State uh, Mississippi State was an eight and a half point favorite. They lose by a touchdown to Kansas State. 
Uh, kind of a weird game. Tommy Stevens got hurt um, early in the second half, and they had to go to a true freshman, Garrett Schrader, um, who probably had maybe the most internet-famous play of the game on a fourth down where he tried to jump for a first down and got hit by two defenders and flew about eight feet in the air before landing just short of the first down marker. Um, you got a chance to watch a lot of this game. What uh, really stood out to you about this game? I mean, for a while, you know, in the beginning, uh, Kansas State was completely dominating, um, especially uh, on the uh, offensive line and the defensive line. They were winning the battles up front, and they jumped out to a 10 nothing lead. And for a while, it looked like that Kansas State was going to maybe just control the whole game and maybe slightly run away with it. But then uh, Tommy Stevens led, stayed on a really good drive uh, midway through the second quarter and got him uh, within three on a touchdown. But then the biggest, the one of the biggest plays of the game up up in the first half was when uh, Mitchell caught that 35-yard touchdown pass from Tommy Stevens on an absolutely perfect throw. You could not, you know, script it any better for that, for that pass, you know, to be in the right place at the right time. But to me, the turning point in this game was after uh, Mississippi State converted on a 47-yard field goal, uh, Malik Knowles runs a 100-yard kickoff return back to tie the game in the beginning of the fourth quarter. And I feel like after that, like, all the wind came out of the sails from Mississippi State because up until that – at that point in the, in the second half, they were in control. But then on that one kickoff return, Kansas State ties the game, and Mississippi State didn't really seem to recover after that. No, that's pretty much the, uh, the story of the game right there. I mean, um, Kansas State was able to win in the trenches. They, they seemed like they just were playing a lot harder. Uh, they were the more physical team in this game. Um, you know, State was finally able to really get the running game going and sustain some drives in the second half. Um, but they did have to settle for a field goal. Um, and then to only go up by seven when they could have made it a two-possession game with a touchdown. And uh, they make the field goal, but then they give up the kick return for touchdown and tie the game. And that really was, like, the the point in the game where it really – the momentum switched all the way back in Kansas State's favor. And, um, you know, Kansas State had some had some really bad plays in this game. They had a, two muff punts that Mississippi State recovered, and they had a interception where they, they fumbled on the interception. So, like, they really uh, messed around a lot in this game and um, didn't really play the most uh, clean game. Uh, but they were able to win it on the line of scrimmage, and that was really the difference in the game. And, um, you know, obviously it may have been different had Tommy Stevens been able to play the whole game. Um, looked like he re-injured his shoulder, that his throwing shoulder that he had injured um, against Southern Miss last week. Right. And um, he just wasn't able to go in the second half. They said it kind of stiffened up on him, and uh, he definitely had some throws sail on him. His last throw was actually that interception uh, that I was just alluding to. Um, where he just he had he had two plays in a row where he had a wide open receiver and just overshot him. The second one was intercepted. Um, so you just really wonder like how much different the game could have been had Stevens been able to stay in the game. Um, you know, because obviously they had to go to you know Schrader, the freshman, and he was four of twelve for fifty one yards after that. So he definitely uh, was struggling a little bit. Um, but for Mississippi State, you know they got they got Kentucky next week and uh, their start conference play. Um, you know, I think going forward, it's really going to – I think this is going to become a lingering thing for Stevens. Uh, most likely, this isn't something that's going to be solved next week. This is probably going to be something that they're going to be dealing with for a lot of the season. Um, so, we'll see um, see where it goes from there. Um, yeah, Keaton Thompson did not play. I think he's still hurt. Um, so, they're going yeah. with Schrader, the freshman. 
And, I mean, you can almost say uh, some Mississippi State fans might be starting to get a little restless with uh, Joe Moorhead, too. So it's definitely a uh, some rocky times in Starkville, and Joe Moorhead's got to show some progress, uh, you know, considering how he, you know, shit the bed last year with last year's team. Uh, and now with a quarterback that runs his system, now two quarterbacks that he recruited, uh, you got to show some progress now, especially with the offense and, you, and also with the defense uh, losing so many, you know, talented starters from last year's team. Uh, the pressure is definitely on Moorhead right now. Yeah, well, you expected the defense to take a little bit of a step back with all the, um, you know, all the players that they lost, and they have taken a step back, and the offense is taking a little bit of a step forward. But, you know, with Stevens being injured, it's kind of hard to uh, to tell for sure um, where that offense is going. I think Moorhead, you know, is definitely like not in trouble of like losing his job at all this year, but he's definitely in a position where, you know, you want to see some progress, you want to see some things going forward and you know they just honestly under him so far they haven't been a very disciplined team they haven't been um a very competitive team against good teams they've been just very you know lackadaisical at times very um undisciplined just not really playing like a great brand of football not something that Mississippi State fans are used to seeing they're used to seeing more physical teams and more um you know disciplined teams and you're just not seeing that same level of discipline and physicality you're seeing a, kind of a transition into more of a finesse team and you know just not as much I guess I don't want to say pride but they just don't play with the same energy and the same like you know just grittiness like I don't really know like how else to say it um, that's just kind of like what I've seen um, from afar yeah and like, like I said I mean fans are probably going to start getting a little restless I mean he's starting to lose the fan base right now but he's definitely not in the hot seat as of now because, I mean, he hasn't done anything to get on the hot seat. But when you lose a fan base, it's not going to be good. But we know one coach that definitely has his fan base together right now, and that would be uh, Kirby Smart at Georgia uh, winning uh, 55 nothing against Arkansas State. Yep, that's exactly right, JB. Um, we'll talk about that game next if you want. Yeah, I mean – I. I mean, we don't have to elaborate too much on this game. I mean, our, I mean, Georgia absolutely, you know, took care of business here. Fromm had a really good day, uh, 17-22, 279 yards, three touchdowns. I just wanted to get on this game because this was also Blake Anderson's uh, first game back from uh, his, you know, from after his uh, wife passed away from cancer. Really tragic story. Uh, he uh, went out, took a leave of absence, I think, with one or two weeks ago left in training camp and missed the first couple of games of the season. And his first game back was against Georgia, and Georgia did a pink out. So I just wanted to, you know, touch on that and just uh, give thanks to Georgia for what they did with the pink out and uh, honoring uh, Blake Anderson and his wife. And Blake Anderson just in a really tough spot, and I admire him for uh, how he's handled himself and, you know, putting life first because there's definitely more things in football. Yeah, definitely. And I was really impressed with uh, Georgia's defense in this game, obviously getting the shutout. Arkansas State is not a slouch team um you know I don't I don't pretend to know like all the specifics on their team this year but they're usually a really competitive team usually win their conference uh you know yearly or every other year um so really good program there uh they were able to hold them to 43 rushing yards on 28 carries uh they were able to throw the ball like a little bit I mean 177 yards definitely not like anything great but you know definitely a good performance by the Georgia defense which you wanted to see um you know from was almost perfect. I mean, 17 for 22, uh, just shy of 300 yards and three touchdowns. And then they pretty much ran the ball with 
I mean, whoever they gave the ball to was ripping off big runs. So, you know, they got a loaded backfield and a big offensive line that, you know, we were always talking about. So definitely good for Georgia going into that uh, Notre Dame game next week. And, you know, there's really, you know, I mean, with Georgia, uh, I've been kind of maybe, I'm not going to say down on them, but just sort of like I'm not sure they're quite up in that upper echelon with some of the top teams in the country. Um, and I think they're going to have a chance to prove that next week against Notre Dame. Um, so that's definitely something to look forward to. But um, staying with this week, you know, another game that was really exciting, um, maybe for the wrong reasons, but that would be Arkansas-Colorado State. You know, you look at the final score and it looks like uh, Arkansas won this game pretty comfortably. But, you know, going into the fourth quarter, this game was very much in doubt. Um, I believe they were tied um, 34-34 going into the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Colorado State, you know, also not a bad team. I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from Colorado State. They are usually very competitive at their level. Um, but Arkansas really, really struggled on defense in this game. Um, Kinsley Jr. for Colorado State had 180 rushing yards on 20 carries. And the backup, McElroy, had six carries for 48 yards. So they really ran the ball well on Arkansas and were able to, uh, you know, pretty much dominate the ground game. They also threw the ball fairly well not as good uh they had to play with their backup quarterback for a lot of this game because the starter got hurt um but i mean when you look at arkansas you know the offense kind of took a step forward this week but the defense kind of looked like it took a step back yeah like i, I was not impressed with uh arkansas's defense and i know the score is 55 34 makes it look like a blow up if you weren't watching the game but we were watching this game we, we have a nice setup at our uh at our place with uh, three different TVs, and we have on three different games. And we, the Arkansas-Colorado State game was one of the games we had it on. We were watching it from uh, start to finish. And, I mean, I, I feel like we've been, you know, picking on Arkansas a lot earlier this season, uh, you know, just how they've been playing. But they did show some improvement on offense. I have to give them the credit on that. I mean, Starkle definitely uh, had a pretty solid game, you know, throwing for over 300 yards, three touchdowns, and uh, no mistakes in picks. So that was good for them. But up until midway through the fourth quarter, it was a tied game. And uh, there was a time where Kansas, or not Kansas, I'm sorry, Colorado State had a chance to uh, drive down the field and take the lead. But Arkansas's defense made a clutch play, had had held him off, and then was able to uh, give the ball back to Arkansas. And they took the ball down the field and were able to get a touchdown, the go-ahead touchdown, and they, weren't able, they never looked back after that. But Colorado State came into Fayetteville and played a really tough game. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, uh, you have to – be a little bit excited for if you're an Arkansas fan just because of the offense and kind of the step forward that they took this game. They were, they just rolled with Starkle in this one. He came out and played really well. Where Kim Boyd had a big game running the ball. Divwa Whaley had a big game running the ball. So they were really able to spread it around. They really got those freshman receivers involved. Burks and Knox, they both yeah. had big games, which is really good to see. Those are probably two guys that they're really going to be relying on throughout the season. Um, and two guys who are probably going to have huge careers in college if they're putting up this kind of numbers as true freshmen. So that's definitely really exciting to see. Yeah. And um, I know you saw that play where O'Grady broke like eight tackles. And yeah. Ran for, like, that, was a awesome, that was an awesome play. And that was one of my favorite plays of the day. Yeah, that was one of mine too. Also, I like the uh, 59-yard run that Rakeem Boyd had just up the seam and went ran 59 yards untouched. But also, I want to give a shout-out to the best kicker in the conference, Connor Limpert. Uh, he's – of course, he's, he's kind of forgotten about because he's playing on a team that's uh, not going to be as much in the spotlight. But Limpert, to me, is, is an NFL talent. Yeah, and a lefty, too. Really, uh, really exciting kicker. He's made some big field goals in his career. Um, I remember they beat Ole Miss a couple years ago. Um, had a really big game. So, 
definitely a big fan of uh, of Limpet, and you know uh, who really um, limped into Saturday was Tennessee, uh, but they got a win finally. Got in the win column, forty-five nothing over UT Chattanooga. Um, tell you what, this was a really really rough day for Nick Tiana. Nick Tiana is the starting quarterback for UT Chattanooga. Uh, four of 16, 40 yards, two interceptions, no touchdowns. Do you think he's going to be telling his grandkids about that game? I think that's going to be one that he'll forget about. All he can, all he'll tell his kids that yeah, I played a game in Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. So he can he can say to his grandkids that he played in the stadium, but he's not going to elaborate about what happened in that game. No, definitely not. But this was a pretty good game for Tennessee. They didn't really have to throw the ball too much, but Garantano did. You know complete every pass except for one he was seven of eight for 142 yards and three touchdowns they only threw the ball 19 times the whole game and they only ran the ball 38 so they really didn't even have that many offensive plays but they, they kind of just they pretty much did whatever they wanted to they dominated on defense and special teams um what did you see from tennessee in this game yeah one of the reasons uh, excuse me here we have uh a, a special delivery. delivery coming in yeah we had a special delivery uh pack of skittles brought to us from our uh, lovely uh, roommate, uh, Dalton, who we really appreciate for us because we definitely need some more fuel to get us through the rest of this podcast. But uh, another team that did not need a lot of fuel in the second half was Tennessee because uh, they had a 38 nothing lead going into halftime. And after that, they pretty much just took their foot off the gas and just ran the, ran the play clock down to a couple seconds for each play. That was one of the main reasons why there wasn't as many possessions because after that, I think Pruitt just wanted to uh, – you know, coast to the second half because they've already put up enough points and play a lot of the second and third string guys, give them some more experience and try to limit injuries before they start SEC play. But, I mean, the team definitely looked, you know, better. But let's face it, I mean, Chattanooga was completely undersized and outmatched. They had absolutely no chance on the line of scrimmage against this Tennessee team. I mean, Tennessee absolutely dominated from the beginning and jumped out to a 21 nothing lead in the first eight, you know, first seven minutes. So, I can't really judge a lot from Tennessee from this game. I mean, if anything, it's just a confidence booster in blowing out somebody, which they haven't really been doing a lot lately, especially after the first two losses. So, all in all, it was a good day for Tennessee, a relaxing day for the for the team and its fans, but probably the last relaxing day they'll have all season. So, were you impressed with either one of the two backups that played? I know neither one of them put up great numbers, but did either one of them do anything that made you think that maybe they could – replace Garantano at some point? Uh, absolutely not, and that's kind of a, a sad point for uh, Tennessee fans is that none of the none of the two backups really did much to impress, and I think Garantano is just the uh, the best of the three or the best worst quarterback of the three. Uh, Shrout uh, has a cannon of an arm, but he doesn't have as much control and accuracy, and that's his biggest issue. Maurer has a lot of, uh, has a lot of good ability scrambling in the pocket, and uh, getting outside the pocket. But his problem is that uh, his accuracy is not as good either. But he's more of a running quarterback. Shrout's more of a passer. But Shrout just not able to uh, pinpoint his passes as well. Yeah, and uh, that was definitely kind of where I was going with that. I kind of knew what you were going to say, but I wanted to ask anyway because I know that a lot of Tennessee fans have been wanting to see those the backup quarterback. Um, and then moving down to Oxford, another – uh, sort of kind of close game. Uh, at least it was going, you know, maybe midway through the second half. Um, Ole Miss in southeast Louisiana. Um, obviously, Ole Miss does get the win, 40-29, to 29, uh, so an 11-point win for them. Um, pretty fun game to watch, honestly. Um, what did you see out of Ole Miss in this one? Um, in the, basically, in the second half, uh, 
they let Southeast Louisiana hang around and make a slight comeback in this game. And Southeast Louisiana had the ball uh, down 34-29 with a chance to go down and take the lead. Like, it came down to that point where Ole Miss was in trouble against an FCS opponent. But in the fourth quarter, Ole Miss was able to uh, clamp down on defense and ultimately prevail. But uh, it was a one-possession game for uh, at least most of the second half, which is kind of disappointing for Ole Miss. You wanted them to have a chance to uh, get out to a big lead and be able to play some of their second and third string guys. That's what you want to do against FCS opponents. So it's definitely a little bit of a little alarming in Oxford that they weren't able to put away this team. But uh, Scotty, Scotty Phillips did have a pretty decent day, too. Uh, they were able to play uh, Jerry and Ely. He had a 94-yard uh, kickoff return. That was a really good play for them. And But like I said, it should not have been as close as it was. And it's definitely caused a little bit of concern for Ole Miss going forward. Yeah, there's definitely some positives to take away, though, if you're Ole Miss. Uh, number one, um, the defense did like definitely did not play well. But at least um, from years past, they're not just letting teams just like run the ball over them. I mean, Southeast Louisiana had 24 carries for 66 yards, so they were able to stop the run fairly well. Um, the running back, Williams, did have a, a decent game, 13 carries for 50 yards. Nothing special, but, you know, not terrible either. Um, where they really got hurt was in the passing game. Um, the Virgil, the quarterback for Southeast Louisiana, put up over 300 yards of uh, – 300 passing yards. Um, and then, you know, but at the same time, it's still good to see for Ole Miss's defense to have them kind of, I guess, play like they're, um, you know, not just – a uh, scout team, like just letting teams just run all over them. Um, they were able to stop the run at least like fairly decently. Um, and then on offense, I mean, yeah, you mentioned Ely had the kick return for a touchdown. He also had 95 rushing yards. Um, you know, Scotty Phillips had over 100 yards rushing, so they were really able to run the ball well. Um, Corral looked pretty efficient in this one. You know, 21 for 30 for 239 yards, two touchdowns. So decent game for him. Um, you know, definitely not the uh, the crazy erratic quarterback we saw in the Memphis game. Yeah. It looks like he's really taken a little bit of a step forward, so hopefully this is more the normal for Corral and not what we saw in Memphis. Yeah, and, and for Ole Miss to say, Corral has to keep improving because, you know, we got some really tough opponents coming up, and for Ole Miss, uh, they got Alabama in a couple weeks. They got one more opponent next week against Cal, which is no no slouch either. Cal is actually ranked 23rd now. Oh, what? They are what? 20, they are ranked Cal's 20. good. I thought Cal sucked. Yeah, we, you announced only Cal sucked. They got yeah. a number next to their name now. Yeah, now they got a number. They're number twenty three in the country, and the opening line as of now is almost as a half point favorite over Cal. So that's going to be a grudge match next week. Yeah, definitely uh, excited to see that one. And um, you know, just moving on down the line a little bit here, uh, Auburn takes on Kent State, fifty five to sixteen gets the gets a pretty easy win. Not it was a little bit of a close game in the first half. Um, Auburn yeah. kind of took a while to get going, uh, but once they did, they really took off in this one. You know, last week we talked about the running game not being where it needs to be. Um, this week, completely different story. Um, as a team, they had 62 carries for 467 yards. Yeah, they had They had Whitlow, uh, the backup quarterback, Gatewood, and Shivers all over 100 yards. Martin had 71 yards, so they really just they spread it around. Everybody was carrying the ball well. Uh, they ripped off some big runs. Uh, really exciting. Um uh, to watch um you know Knicks had a pretty average game that it, you know you could really tell that they they were not concerned at all about throwing the ball in this game this game was about one thing one thing only and yeah. that was establishing the running game yeah that's exactly what Gus Malzahn used this game for it was to generate a running game and 
improve the running game because getting an SEC play, like you got to take some pressure off of Bo Nix. You don't want Bo Nix to be forced into a situation where he has to try to win the game for you. He needs a really solid running game to complement him. And if you give him a really good running game, like he's going to get better as the season progresses and where he might be in a position where he can uh, you know, throw the ball and be able to win games for you. But right now they got to rely on the running game to uh, make the game easier for Bo Nix as he progresses through the season. So this was a definitely a good step for Auburn and Gus Malzahn in that offense. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely agree with that. Um, now we can move on to the LSU Northwest Louisiana State matchup. Northwestern, Northwestern State. State. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, is, but it is in Louisiana, though. Yeah, Nagadoche is Louisiana. I do, and I do believe that's where Coach O played in college. So that's why uh, this was kind of a close game in the first half. Northwestern State had a couple of touchdowns and a couple of blown coverages. Um, so this is like two weeks in a row we've seen the LSU secondary not play great. Are you concerned at all? I mean, you almost have to be a little cause for concern. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd almost want to – I'd really just want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they just – are not really bringing it against, you know, I guess inferior competition. But it's definitely a little cause for concern. But even with that, uh, the offense is just no unreal. Like, we haven't seen an offense at LSU like this in a long, long time. Like, we're used to seeing just, you know, stagnant offenses at LSU. And now they look like a really dynamic attack. And you can almost make an argument that they look like the second-best offense in the conference now. And that's, that's a testament to uh, bring it for Orgeron, uh, bringing in Joe Brady, not being a micromanager and giving full reign uh, to him to, as a passing game coordinator to improve the passing game. And Burrow had a, a really good game, 21-24, uh, 373 uh, passing yards. But then Miles Brennan came in and, and completed 8 of 9 and, uh, for 115 yards. And they had 488 total yards through the air. Like that's that's been unheard of in in Baton Rouge for a long time to see that many passing yards. Yeah, it definitely has, and you know the running game was you know a little stagnant in this one. Uh, Thirty five carries for one hundred twenty two yards. Uh, Edwards Hilaire led the way with thirteen carries for fifty yards, two touchdowns. Uh, but nobody else was really able to get it going on the ground. Um, just not you know not really that dominant running game that we're kind of used to seeing for LSU in these matchups. But it doesn't really matter since you're able to throw the ball so well. Um, you know, Burrow was just so efficient. He did have that interception, but other than that, pretty much a perfect game. Miles Brennan came in and played well, as, as you said as well. But, you know, you just got to be impressed with these receivers. I mean, you know, Jefferson, Marshall, um, Sullivan, I mean, all these guys are just big, athletic, um, really able to go up and get the ball, and they're just a really, really great group of receivers. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's one of the best uh, crops of receivers we have in the conference. I mean, I'm not going to say it's better than Alabama's, but it's a really, really solid group. And when you got that many weapons on offense for a you know Burrow to work with, and especially with a pretty solid running game that they didn't even try to establish against Northwestern State, they're just trying to get the passing game going because they want to be balanced one that once SEC play rolls around, and I think they're ready for it. Yeah, I do too. And um, you know we definitely have LSU number two in our power rankings right now, um, and I don't think. I don't really even question it that much. I mean, I know a lot of people like Georgia. A lot of people pick Georgia to win the national championship this year. Um, I just really like what I've seen out of LSU so far to this point. Um, it's really – that's just really what I like from it. Kind of to answer my own question that I had at the beginning of this, I'm not too worried about that LSU secondary. Um, I think there was just a couple coverage busts on Saturday, uh, just a couple communication issues that they're going to be able to, to solve. I don't think those are going to be long-term issues. I still think that they're one of the most athletic groups in the country and – are going to be able to turn it around. Um, 
And then uh, moving out to College Station, Texas, um, Texas A&M, beats the crap out of Lamar. Um, I'm not sure why Lamar even has a football team, honestly. Uh, <laughs> Lamar wins that game, or uh, <laughs> Lamar loses that game, 62-3. to um, Kellen Mond, over, th- over 300 yards passing, a touchdown. Um, you know, you really – Isaiah Spiller uh, had over 100 rushing yards, which you really want to see. They need to um, – they need to um, – play <laughs> sorry they need Spiller to really to step up with uh um with their two running backs being out ahead of them um so uh you know Carson's gonna be out for the year so Spiller's really gonna be the guy um going forward so um definitely uh good to see him go for over 100 yards and Mon had another big game um was there really anything that stood out to you about this game I mean it's you can't really take much away I mean it's Lamar I mean let's just face it it's Lamar I mean, they get blown up by everybody that they play. I mean, A&M did exactly what they needed to do. I mean, they had 410 yards passing, 223 on the ground. It was a very balanced attack, over 600 yards of total offense. I mean, that's all you need to see from them. I mean, they did exactly what they had to do. It was a it was a cream puff before they have a huge uh, opening game uh, next week hosting uh, Auburn, which I'm really looking forward to that one. That's really, to me, the uh, first major uh, conference matchup we're going to have this season. Yeah, definitely should be an exciting matchup. And uh, last but not least, the last game we'll get to is going to be Southeast Missouri at Missouri. Um, the Tigers <laughs> took on the – I'm not even sure what Southeast Missouri, what their mascot is, but it looks like some kind of bird. The Red Hawks. They're the Red Hawks. The Red Hawks. Yeah. Okay. So kind of an exciting game there. Um, I believe, what, 50 and nothing was the final score, so. Yeah, I mean, just just another FCS opponent – that we have to discuss. I mean, I really, really hate talking about, you know, SEC teams playing FCS opponents. I'm I'm really just, you know, fed up with it by now. And especially this week we had one, two, uh, three, four, five FCS opponents being played this week. So hopefully uh, in the future we're not going to have to worry about them playing FCS opponents because, I mean, it's just an absolute mismatch. It's not fair to the fans. It's not really fair to the players. It's only really fair to the FCS opponents to be able to measure themselves against a major team and a major program and getting a paycheck. But, you know, Missouri did exactly what they had to do. I mean, when you play these opponents, you, you want to get, them a, get get a goose egg and uh, put up a lot of points and give your second and third and fourth stringers and walk-ons a chance to play. And Missouri was able to do that. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of just fed up with this, you know. I mean, much respect to Missouri. I really – I'm still on the Missouri uh, train. Even though they lost their opener to Wyoming, I still really like this Missouri team. I think they're still probably the uh, second and third best team in the East, and I still think they're on track to get eight or nine wins, you know, just by looking at their schedule. Yeah, I mean, I really like, you know, what I saw out of Missouri in this one. Uh, there's not really too much you can take away from it, but they played about as well as you could have played. And, um, you know, definitely good for uh, for Southeast Missouri to get a shot to, uh, to play against Missouri, I know a bunch of those kids probably you know are upset that Missouri didn't recruit them and all that stuff. So it's definitely cool that they get that opportunity to go play, um, you know, during that game. And you know, I I just think it's cool that uh, you know, when you think about it, um, the money that they get from that game that Southeast Missouri gets for that game kind of goes to fund like their whole athletic budget. So I mean, when you think about it, like you know, that's really kind of a a big deal to that whole not only to the football team but the whole athletic department you think like all the sports they play at that school and how they're all able to benefit from that yeah Um, you know it's just it's one of those things like you know 
I just feel like it's kind of a win-win. I mean, I didn't really plan on getting into this argument again, but you know, I just think it's I think it's good for the game. Uh, it's just good for those small schools to get that opportunity to get that paycheck because you know it helps the baseball team, it helps the softball team, the volleyball team, whatever. Like swimming, you know, gymnastics. It's just, it's just good for like the whole university. And it, it is. It gives a lot of opportunities to people. Um, to play sports that maybe aren't like D1 yeah. athletes, but like, you know, they still want, you know, want to play at like a smaller school. I just think, I just think it's, it's good all around. I think everybody yeah. wins. I mean, not to elaborate too much. I mean, I, I'll take a little bit of it back. I don't want to see power five programs, like in the, especially the SEC playing FCS opponents, but FCS opponents playing group of six programs makes a lot of sense to me. Like let them play teams like Rice and Memphis you know, SMU, uh, Marshall, Toledo, Fresno State, let them play those kind of teams instead of, you know, the Power 5 teams. Because, you know, they could probably steal a win here and there against those kind of opponents. But to me, just, you know, SEC fans and SEC teams, like, I feel like all their non-conference games should be against group of, you know, the group of five teams instead of, or is it a group of six? I don't. I can't even remember. Who yeah, who cares? Who it cares? Doesn't really it doesn't really matter. But I think that's who all the, non, the non-conference games should be is against other Power 5 and other group of six teams in the same bowl subdivision. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you. And uh, so that pretty much wraps up all of our games. Uh, but I do want to ask you, JB, what did you eat this week? Oh, God, where do I start? I mean, I don't really want to elaborate too much. I mean, I, today I ate a, uh, most of a sack full of crystals because this weekend Crystal had uh, a sack full of crystals for half off, which was an incredible deal. And then I also, um, what is it they yesterday? You know, why do I why do I forget what I ate? I mean, I know I ate good on Saturday. You had Hueys. I had Hueys, yes. So that was another solid option. I had a full plate of cheese fries with some uh, chicken sliders. You know, just typical football grub food. You know, the best food. And uh, I know I had something else that day too. I just, you know, actually no, I did not really anything else except for Hueys. But I overloaded on one meal. So that's all. You, that's all I can really say about that, at least. Yeah. Well, I went to. Houston Steakhouse in Memphis for like the first time. Um, everyone t- always talks about how great it is, and it actually was pretty good. I got a, um, a prime rib sandwich with the ajou sauce or whatever you call it, and that was pretty damn good. Their French fries are really good, and I got a, some of the best key lime pie I've ever had for dessert. Mm. So be on the lookout for that on Fat Friday. Yeah. So yeah, exciting times, and. Um, I mean, I guess we don't really have much else to say. Usually when Alex is here, we go for about an hour and 15 minutes. Today we kept it under 45. I feel yeah. like that's probably the way to go. This was efficient. This is a very efficient podcast. Yeah. This is this is like the Bill Schneider offense of, yeah. of podcasts. Exactly. Now your ears don't have to bleed as much. Yeah. I just wish Alex was here to laugh at one of his own jokes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we got for you this week. Um, just be on the lookout for... Our Twitter at SEC Slow Smoked, Instagram at SEC Slow Smoked. You can email us SEC Slow Smoked at gmail.com. If you have any questions, send them our way. We might answer them on there. Who knows? You might you might be uh, podcast famous one day. You know, we got a lot of new listeners this year. It's been really exciting. Um, you know, just gonna just gonna keep going, keep climbing up that mountain, and uh, knock Feinbaum off his perch one of these days. Yeah, we're not going anywhere. Uh, we're always gonna be here to talk SEC football. That's our passion. And uh, besides our SEC Slushbunker account, you can also follow our personal accounts. Uh, we may not tweet as much. Uh, you can follow me at MRJB underscore Brooks. You can also follow my uh, co-host, uh, Holt Smash, at Holt Smash 1166. And then you can also follow our absentee uh, host, uh, Alex Ship at Bullship1 on Twitter. So, yeah, please give us a follow if you'd like. 
Uh, we would really appreciate it. My follow count is really in the shitter right now, so I definitely would take a few more follows. Not to say I want to ask for a follow, but I am. Maybe. Kind of. Alright, well, that's pretty much all we got for the Tinder King of Memphis, J.B. Brooks. I am Holt. See y'all next time. Peace out. Thanks for tuning in to another outstanding episode of the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. Be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SEC Slow Smoked. Spread the good word on this podcast like the chili and cheese on your fries. If you like this podcast, tell a friend because there's plenty to go around. Oh, yeah.